You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. This morning, by asking a question, how many of you feel tired all the time? Or it just feels like all the time? Some of you? Okay, yeah, there's a lot. You're too, too tired to raise your hand is what's happening there, aren't you? Um, do, do you do this? Do, do you go home after a long day of work or school and then you sit on the couch and you take an evening nap? If, if you do something like that, you're so tired you have to sleep to rally to go to bed again. You know, that's kind of that evening nap. I know sometimes I feel, feel that way. I don't know if you do that. Uh, we're, we're all tired and there's a lot of reasons why we're probably tired. If you're uh, parents of young kids, say no more. We, we know why you're tired, but there could be different reasons, diet, health, all those kinds of things. But there is one particular reason, maybe the biggest reason we're tired is really a biblical reason. And it has everything to do with the battle you're in right now. That there is a spiritual battle that's just raging just across this nation, across the world. There's just, there, there's something going on and, and, and oftentimes that can wear us out. We don't even know what is happening. We don't even know why we feel the way that we feel. You might right now be on the front line of a major battle. Maybe it's a, a relational battle. And certainly it all has spiritual roots to it. Maybe it's a financial battle. Last week we finished a series on the Holy Spirit and we talked about the person, the power, the promise, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says, and you will receive power. You will receive strength when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So I thought today it would be a, a good punctuation for the four-week series that we finished last week to talk out of Ephesians chapter 6. And so if you have your Bible, you can get a head start and, and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 10 through 18. By the way, I just want to apologize right up front. When you pull out your bulletin, you're going to notice that there's six articles of, of armor I was so ambitious, I bit off more than I can chew, so I just want you to know up front, I apologize. We're going to only co- cover three of the articles of, of, uh, of the armor today, and in a couple of weeks, I'm going to return into a second part. Are you okay with that? So if you just take your bulletin home with you and just bring it out again, you know, just it's uh, reusable. And so that's what we're going to do, but I, I think that this is going to be very meaningful for all of us, because what we see in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, is we see a strength-building strategy of God, and, and how we're to stand even when we can't always see the battle around us. How the instruction for us in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul says, you listen, even though you might not see what's happening, you need to be able to stand. And once you're standing, then keep standing. That's basically what he says. So in this passage of Scripture, Paul uses this incredible analogy. Uh, It's a word picture here, and it's of the Roman army, particularly of a Roman soldier. Now, why did Paul do that? Well, there were reasons he did that. First of all, everyone would have known what Paul was talking about during this day. And for us, we we need a little bit of an explanation because it it isn't something that's so relevant for us. I mean, a, a Roman soldier isn't altogether relevant for you and I. But the Roman army was big. 
The Roman army was massive. The Roman army was unified. The Roman army was technologically advanced. I mean, they, they had everything that they needed for their day and time. This is a huge war machine, unlike any, any society or, or any empire had seen prior to this. The Roman army is massive. So what they would do is the Roman army would collect all the tribal armies and make one massive force. So what they do, just swallow up all the other tribes and get them enlisted. Uh, (laughs) And it wasn't, you you weren't volunteering, you were actually enlisted and you became a Roman soldier. And here's what they would do. They would train their soldiers uh, not to fight first. That's not the first thing they would do. This is the, really, the secret of how they conquered city after city, region after region. This is what they would do. They would teach them how to march first. So, so, so they would practice marching. And the reason they did that is because they needed to develop unity. And one of the places that you would see it is in how they would march and the discipline uh, of each soldier coming together and making one huge force. And that's really a lot of the ways that they, uh, they intimidated their enemy is, uh, is they really uh, oftentimes didn't have to draw a weapon. All they needed to do was march. And you could hear them coming from miles away. And this is just, again, this is a massive army. They were the world's greatest fighting force. Their war strategies are still studied today. Their war strategies are still employed today. When Paul calls us to put on the whole armor of God, this is a call to be more than a conqueror. We need to be more than conquerors. I don't want to just survive in this life. Uh, I want to be more than a conqueror in Jesus. And, and, and so Paul sets forth, here is what it looks like to be more than a conqueror, and he talks to us about uh, what it means to be a soldier, what it means to put on the whole armor of God. This is for the battles that you're fighting today. These are for the, the, the battles that you're going to fight in the future. The Apostle Paul says in chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, he said, finally, now if you, you, you have a Bible there and you don't mind drawing and writing in it, Taking notes, just circle or underline the word finally. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. See the word finally there again. I want you to just say finally with me. Finally. Finally what? I mean, what's Paul saying here? Uh, There are two parts to the book of Ephesians. Uh, The first few chapters, what Paul is communicating uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit is he is wanting you to know that you are absolutely, radically, eternally loved. That's, That's what he talks about. And he says it in some pretty fancy ways. He says it... Like, uh, he doesn't even take a breath. He's so excited to tell you how much God loves you that really the first part of Ephesians is one long sentence. And he just can't wait to get it out. And he's telling you in as many ways as he can tell you that you are God's favorite. Just say, I'm God's favorite. Yeah. Yeah. You're God's favorite. So Paul spends a lot of time talking about being God's favorite. The second part is he says, now this is what... It, this is what it looks like. This is what it really looks like when you live out a life full of the love and the power of God's Holy Spirit. The second part of Ephesians, is, it's, it's, it's about raising your life up and that you would live for the purpose that God has called you to live. Paul then talks about what that looks like. He says, parents, 
Here, we, we have some instruction for you. Husbands and wives, we have some instruction for you. He's talking about the daily things that go on in our lives and our relationships. So he's saying, hey, this is how it's worked out. This is how the, the love of God is worked out in our lives. And he talks about that in chapters 3, 4, and 5. And then in chapter 6, he gives this most important instruction because he says, finally. So he's gotten to that place and he says, finally. And then gives them instruction about the real battle. And that's found in verse 12. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the, in the heavenly realms. So who is our real enemy? What Paul's saying here is your enemy is not flesh and blood. Your enemy is not a human being. That is not your enemy. Your enemy is not the Republicans. Your enemy is not the Democrats. Your enemy is not Donald Trump. Your enemy is not Nancy Pelosi. Some of you are going, oh, no. <laughs> we have inner healing for some of you after the service. If you need someone to pray for you about that, then we can do that. But that's not, these people are not our enemies. Listen, your enemy is not your ex-spouse. Your enemy is not the person who broke up with you. Your enemy is not the one who slandered you. Your enemy is not the one that you disagree with or you have conflict with. Your enemy is not a competitor in the business world. Your enemy is none of those people. Your enemy is not human being. Verse 12 says that our struggle is not against human beings, not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities. That you're not thinking. If you think that your enemy is flesh and blood, then you're not thinking according to the Apostle Paul. You're not thinking biblically. You're not thinking the way that God thinks. So God makes it very clear here through these scriptures. He says, listen, you, if you're thinking it's in flesh and blood, then you're not theologically sound. And there'll be holes in your life if this is the way you think. He's saying, hey, this is about powers and principalities. See, if God created that person, they are not my enemy. People are not my enemy. People are my opportunity. And if we see people that we engage with during the course of a week as an opportunity for us to let our light shine, for us to, to share the grace and the love of Jesus Christ with others, then we're really making headway. I think then is when we really are advancing the kingdom of God. When we look at everyone we encounter as a divine appointment. I, I, do you do that? I, I think that's important for us to be sensitive to. I think it's important for us to really be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can catch on and see with spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual ears what the Holy Spirit is about. See, what I love to do most is uh, kind of exegete what's going on in a person's life that I may, may have just met. I mean, Holy Spirit exegete. And what I mean by that is I just kind of want to get up alongside and listen to the whisper of the Holy Spirit about what's going on in this person's life. See, mine isn't to tell people what to do. Mine is to come alongside, come alongside when the Holy Spirit's already moving in people's lives. Did you know the Holy Spirit's moving in that person's life that you thought would be impossible for the Holy Spirit to move in? Did, did you know that the Holy Spirit is moving in the prodigals of, of, of your family? Do you know the Holy Spirit is doing some amazing things? We just cannot see them with our eyes because it's flesh and blood uh, that we see. This is about 
the spiritual. This is about advancing the kingdom of God. This is really what this is about. Spiritual forces are at work. See, our struggle is against rulers and authorities and powers of the dark world. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we have two enemies. One is sin and the other is the demonic forces. And that's in verse 13. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes... You may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, really it just says here, stand. <laughs> so when the day of evil comes, what do you do? I mean, the scripture here says, Paul's instruction is that you stand, that you stand firm. See, this is a posture of strength, isn't it? I mean, you might not feel that way on the inside, uh, but standing is not meant to go backward. It's not a retreating posture. It is a posture that you're ready to actually advance, that you're actually holding ground. Sometimes in life, that's what we do. We just are holding ground, aren't we? But we're never asked to retreat. That, that's not what the, 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 the armor's designed to do. In fact, when you go over the six articles of the armor of God, there's nothing that protects your posterior. So that means if you take off and run, you're vulnerable. You're in your strongest place spiritually is when you're leaning in and you're leaning forward and you're taking that stance. And after doing everything to stand, what are you doing? The Bible says to stand, absolutely stand fast. I love that. Because there are times that that's about all I can do. I'm I'm not smart enough to figure out all the schemes that are going on. I'm not... Uh, I'm not intelligent enough to know all the different things that are going on around me in relationship in the spiritual realm. So what do I need to do? The Lord just says through his word, stand. Stand fast. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, it says this. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. There are six different articles here, battle. One is offensive and five are defensive. It's really two parts to it. All of them necessary to stand in battle that we wage each day. See, the early church understood this probably a little more than we do because the opposition was fierce against the early church. I mean, if you came out and said you were a Christ follower or a person of the way, and most of you probably know this, the term Christian was a derogatory comment. So if, 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 if you were a Christian, uh, then you were marked for death. Uh, you, you, you could die uh, for your faith. You could, you could die for your faith. And so the early church understood what this is really all about. They understood the supernatural implications. They understood that the devil was afoot. He, they understood all this. They saw this clearly a lot more than we probably see it today. I mean, it doesn't mean it's any less real today. It just means we don't maybe have eyes to see it. We might not have ears to hear it. 
And I think that's one of the reasons we wanted to take time in the last few weeks to talk about the Holy Spirit so we would be sensitized to what the Holy Spirit is up to in our life. Not just to understand the Holy Spirit's work theologically, but to understand the Holy Spirit himself. To have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul says. He says, listen, you need to have these extraordinary, this extraordinary power. You, you need to have this. The early church understood that they had a supernatural access to extraordinary power. So what are the essential components to the armor of God? And how, how can you and I uh, get this strength? Again, we're just going to cover three of them today. And in a couple of weeks, we'll come back and cover the last three. But it's important we understand this. And I think this strength comes from understanding the biblical anchoring with each article of the armor of God. So we know this is a metaphor. And what we know there is there's an anchoring there. There's a, there's a truth being taught that we can apply in life and how to live out our life in Jesus Christ. And that's really seen clearly through the armor of God. What's the first thing that's mentioned here? The first is the belt of truth. The belt of truth fastens everything together. Remember this. When we think of a belt in our Western world, we usually think about what I have on here. You know, it's a nice leather belt. It's fancy. It's, it, it's, it's, it's good for, uh, um, you know, looking good. And, and you got your buckle and you got all that kind of stuff. And it does hold up your pants, I, I think. But, but here's the deal. That's not what they were talking about. When they were talking about a belt of truth, this was something that was, was massive. It was central. It was a key. It was the key piece to all the other armor fitting. Everything else fit on that, that belt, that belt of truth. And Paul's saying, here it is. This is not the kind of, again, belt that, 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 that we know today. This is something so essential to a battle. This is like uh, the biggest and best work belt that you can imagine. I mean, just imagine that. I mean, I used to go and watch my grandpa. He was, a, he was in construction. He was a superintendent. And that guy used to always admire his belt, his work belt, you know. As a little kid, just kind of walk alongside him, hear it clanging around and see a hammer and, 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 a, and a, a tape measure and all those kinds of things. And I used to admire that. He'd take it off, and it was massive. It was central to what he did. It was central to the job that he had had to perform it was this belt and if you have any kind of thought about what a belt looks like just think about that I mean you can't you can't do your work if you don't have this belt you can't fight the battle if you don't have the the belt of, of truth this belt does two things number one is it does this it protects the intestines <laughs> so when you're in battle you needed something to protect your your intestines and this was critical because a lot of times uh, the, the soldier would go out and they might get a stab wound and, and, and come back in and they might not die for another three or four or five or six days because of, of infection. They just didn't really know what, what that was all about. So this was critical that you protect your intestines. This is, these are, this is your guts. And then again, the second thing is that all the other tools, uh, the, all the other articles of the armor fastened to it. So put crudely, it protects your guts. It also protected in battle your private parts. That's really what it protects. Uh, because this, you'd get disabled, which really represents to me, and here's, here's where it really plays in for our lives today, where we can practically apply it. This represents, I think, your emotions, your guts. Everything happens in here. That my emotions need to be protected. They need to be protected with the truth of God. They need to be protected by, by God's word. 
that my emotions can go awry. They can go crazy. They can go wild if they don't line up and under and submit it under the, the truth of God and his word. So, so that's why he says, now, you've got to put this on because this is how you're going to survive. This is how you're going to make it. This is how you're going to conquer in battle. So the other thing is, not only your emotions, but it protects your passions. That, that your passion in life, whatever that is, your, your physical passions, your, your emotional, spiritual passions, that they're protected by the truth of God. Everything should be submitted to the truth of God. It should be examined through the lens of God's word. Amen to that? Yeah. Amen. Everything should be. And that's why, why Paul says here, wrap, put this on. Our emotions and passions left unchecked by truth, God's truth, can only destroy our lives. So we see that, don't we? And we, we've experienced that in our own lives at times when, when we've let our emotions get away from us, when we let our passions get away from us. It, it causes a domino effect. And Paul's saying through this passage of Scripture, don't let that happen. Submit your emotions and passions to the truth of God's Word. This belt of truth is the most important part of the armor. It is central and essential to every other piece in the armor. Without the belt of truth, I'm left to fight life's battles with my own truth. And I think that, that's going around a lot, isn't it? I've become my own authority I've become my own authority on truth. You know, it's kind of interesting when you hear people talk about the validity of God's word and what they think, and they say, well, I just think it's all made up, and I think a bunch of people put this stuff together, and you ask them, really, have you ever read it? Uh, no. Have you, have you ever gone through and just taken time and, and read the word of God and, and, and to, to experience the transforming power it has in your life? No. Well, where did you get this? Well, someone else told me. This is how we oftentimes will come to some of the conclusions in life. See, without the belt of truth, uh, I become my own authority. You become your own authority, and that is a scary place to be. This, This means I essentially become defenseless against vain imaginations and evil thoughts without the belt of truth. I become a dead man walking without the belt of truth. This is about who informs me about me. Who informs you the most about yourself? Where is your identity derived from? Where does it come from? Of course, the Bible says our identity is found in Jesus Christ. To to find that out, to know that more and understand it, we have to be in his word. We have to know what God is saying about us. He's the expert. He's the creator. He's the one who wired you. He's the one who's put you together. So I need to know what God's thinking about who I am. Not what everyone else is thinking about who I am. I need to know what God is thinking about who I am. So who informed you? Just to ask that question. It's so, it's so critical that the belt of truth counters deception in your life. So there are three things here. There is the internal instincts, which if you live by that, you ultimately become a narcissist because it's all about you, what you think is right and wrong, and gaining the pleasure that you want to gain in life. Um, it can be external pressures. Um, always concerned about what everyone else thinks. Always being concerned about what they say on Facebook or what do they say on social media about me. What are they saying? What are my friends saying about me? That, your life will cave in if that's where you're going to find out who you are 
and your identity. It will. But then there's this eternal perspective. What does God think? And that's what we want to know. We want to know what God thinks about us according to his word. There have been studies done on the truth of Scripture when it's applied to our lives. Serious studies. And here's what it basically says. Dads become better dads. Moms become better moms. Bosses become better bosses. Employees become better employees. I mean, that's the transforming power of God's Word. With the transforming power of God's truth in our life, things are better. Lives are changed. Families are changed. Communities are changed. See, I think we might be in a season now where there's a lot of biblical illiteracy, even in the body of Christ, even in the church. And that's because we're going to other places, other sources, and we're deeming them as the experts in our lives. That's not what God's word tells us. So here's a question. What's holding your life together? What is it? Is it internal? Is it external? Is it eternal? What we need to do is be able to just, we read our Bibles every day. I know this is just, you've probably heard this before, but it's so important to say, read our Bibles every day. Uh, Just study God's word, be in devotion, be in fellowship, be in community. That's why we come here. We can worship together. This is where our life is enriched. This is where we are filled. This is where we can hear the truth uh, of God's word. This is really where this happens. You know, if you're a new believer, or maybe you're you're a believer who just is, maybe you're stuck somewhere and you don't know what to read in the Bible, let me just give you a quick fix on this is go to the Gospel of Mark. Just read the Gospel of Mark. Let me just tell you to do that. Read the Gospel of Mark. I mean, it is, it, I love the Gospel of Mark. It's for people like me who have short attention spans. So like only 16 chapters. And the word immediately is the most often repeated word, or word in, the, in the Gospel of Mark. And immediately Jesus went here. And immediately they went there. And I love it, man. It's like, wow, this is like action-packed, you know? And, and so if you're really looking to dive in, go to the Gospel of Mark. I just want to... Just encourage you to do that because it'll make all the difference. Mark does this. He, he, he proves that there are and were people like me who had short attention spans. And I love it. I love reading the book of Mark. Second thing that you need to know, the second article of armor. Are you getting this? Do you writing this down? Okay. The second article of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness fights the frontal attacks. Here, here's what I've learned about spiritual warfare. This is what I've learned, and maybe you've come to the same conclusion. The devil doesn't play fair. Amen? I mean, he doesn't play fair. And, and if you can come to any conclusion uh, about the devil's schemes and know that he doesn't play fair, you're way ahead of the game. He, he, he capitalizes on our, on our vulnerabilities. He, he capitalizes in areas of our life where we've experienced some shame, or woundedness or brokenness. That, that's, where, that's where the enemy comes in. <laughs> and it's like he, he, he puts that on a loudspeaker. From, from the way you're feeling about yourself, the shameful things that you might feel about yourself, and he connects it right to your head and it's always going off. That, that's the way the enemy works. He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't play fair. In, in battle, you can't take a blow to the chest and survive. You can't take a, a frontal blow and survive. So what does it mean to put on the breastplate of righteousness? Well, righteousness um, 
counters the enemy's weapon of diminished standards. I want to say that again. Righteousness counters the, the, uh, what the enemy would bring as diminished standards. And, and we're dealing with that a lot today. Aren't we justifying sin in our own lives? That happens. Uh, not holding the standard of God's word as high as it really needs to be held. Uh, there's this kind of diminishing thing that goes on when it comes to uh, righteousness and God's word. Uh, so here it is. The same time we talk about the love of God, the grace of God, uh, we cannot diminish the standards of God. Can't do that. Um, I mean, we do know that the love and grace of God sustains us. But can I say this? Always figure in when you talk about love and grace, it does not exclude the righteousness of God. In fact, it's the righteousness of God is to the reason we have love and grace today. It's because we get to experience that in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We cannot diminish the standards of God. And this is what, what I've experienced. The, the second you call people up uh, to a higher moral standard, uh, oftentimes you're labeled as a prude or a loser or judgmental. Please know that, that that would never be the heart of, of this place. But it is the heart of this place to make disciples who make disciples for Jesus. And that means we can always be learners. And that means we can always grow to the standards that God has for us. And by the way, they're the standards God has for you, not the standards everyone else might have for you. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. You only find that out in your relationship with him. And that's really, again, going back to how the Holy Spirit leads us and teaches us. Uh, These are the things that we need to know. Please, please do not let anyone tell you that you cannot um, lead a moral life, a godly life. That seems to be the anthem, doesn't it? I mean, almost everywhere we're turning, it, we're, we've abandoned morality in a lot of ways. And, and God's word isn't asking us to do that. God's word is asking us to live a godly life. You are built to live at the highest level of excellence by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been created by your creator to live with great and deep purpose in life. That's the way you've been created. And, and, and then together, what we do is get to advance the kingdom of God. You can have rightness in your life. What does it mean to to live in righteousness or a a righteous life? In the Old Testament, it was the Ten Commandments. And I love what what Jesus does here when he's asked, well, what is is the greatest commandments? And he says, well, there there are two of them. And I love Jesus, his simplicity here. I'm going to take the Ten Commandments. And everything the Ten Commandments had become since they'd been given were thousands and thousands of laws now. You know, that's just kind of how we do it. That's kind of how religion works. But Jesus says, man, love the Lord thy God with all your might, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. What Jesus is saying is here's the the righteous way to live. This is the right way to live. And we need, again, we need the power of God's Holy Spirit to do that. So here's the catch. In our own strength, we cannot be righteous. Just say that with me. In my own strength, I cannot be righteous. Say that. In my own strength, I cannot be righteous. We have no ability in our own strength, uh, with our own willpower, 
to live a, a righteous life. It just doesn't work. In our own strength, we can't love God. In our own strength, we can't love our neighbors. This is only possible with the Holy Spirit, His power, His conviction, His leadership. And remember, this is a process. This is about a journey. When you came to Jesus Christ, what happened there, the old had gone, the new had come. That's, that's that immediate, we call it theologically, we call it the immediate sanctification takes place. But then there's the process of living it out. And that's the, the lifelong journey of sanctification. <laughs> uh, Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm dying every day to myself. I'm, I'm learning more. I, the more I can get close to Jesus, I realize the more that I'm growing, the deeper I get, and the more I look like Jesus Christ. You see, we, we, we need the Holy Spirit every single day. This is a process. And, and you know, here, here's what's kind of interesting about this process, at least what I've experienced. The things that I were, was processing in my 20s, and uh, in some ways I, I was able to overcome certain things, I realized that I got a whole new set of problems in my 30s. Hey, you ever figure that out? And then in your 40s or 50s, I mean, you know, it's a journey. It's a journey. And we have to know it as such. It is a journey But I think the greatest thing about this journey is it's a journey we walk together and we walk with Jesus Christ and we learn more about Jesus along the way. That's really what this journey is about. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. So it's it's, it's a present tense term. It's saying right now, today, as you go about your journey, be transformed, be renewed. This is the essence of discipleship. You're a lifelong follower and student of Jesus Christ. I love what Titus says here. Titus says it in chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love to say amen after that one. That's a good one. See, God's grace teaches us a new way of life. God's grace given to me through His Spirit, given to me through you, and our relationship, the exchanges that we have, I'm learning more and more about God's grace. I really am. And it happens in community. And that's what I love about being part of community because you have something I don't have. I have something you don't have. And when we bring it together, there's where grace abounds. That's amazing. How does God do all of that? It's pretty amazing. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So here's a question. How protected are the most vital parts of your life? Are those most vital places in your life exposed to the, to, the, to the enemy, to the whims of your own emotion, your own passions? How much do you allow the grace of God to teach you? Again, it's an ongoing process. And that's the instrument. The primary instrument God uses to teach us is His grace. So here it is. I'm going to finish with this. Um, what is the most important article of clothing that you put on every day? What is that? I mean, every day, what is the most important article you put on? Uh, one of the times I did this, someone said, your underwear! And I said, well, you could get along without your, yeah, probably important to the people around you, you know. 
Um, but when you think about what is the most important article that, that you would wear every day? It's your shoes. I mean, if you don't have shoes, it, it's tough. You can't get very far without shoes. Have you ever tried that? I mean, you might think you've got leather feet, and then you, you, know, you start walking, especially this time of year. You know, I just went out on the driveway the other day without my shoes on, and I, I was like a, a little baby. You know, was, ah, 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 you know, just little pebbles and things. I mean, you've you got to have shoes. Got to have shoes to, to advance. No matter where you are or what you're doing, it's about shoes. I remember one time taking our kids to, uh, to Disneyland. And, and the worst thing about being in the happiest place on the planet is that I had bought new shoes and I got a blister halfway through the day. That is the worst thing that can happen. I could have just, i not really, but I could have punched Mickey Mouse. I felt so bad, you know? You know how you feel pain and, you know, you ah! And, and, and that's, that's really kind of the worst thing I experienced. Oh, Lord. The worst thing I experienced at Disneyland. You know what even makes it worse? Is when your kid has a blister, too. And now both of you are whining. I mean, you're trying, I know, just come on, let's go. We're going we're gonna to have fun here today. I'm going to tell you right now. You're in the happiest place on the planet. I put all this money out. You are going to have fun. I don't care about your blister. I don't care, you know. But really, one of the, it's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. Paul says, have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is about footing for moving forward. If you remember, if you've ever studied the articles of, of, of the armor and the Roman soldier, they didn't have just regular old sandals. They had actually like nubs that they put on the bottom of, of their sandals so they could hold their ground. So there was some traction. Because the, the worst thing that can happen in battle is that you fall down. That's the worst thing. So they, they, they had these, these, these incredible sandals or shoes that allowed them to hold their ground. It allowed them to keep their to keep their balance. It allowed them to move forward when the time came to move forward. The shoes the, the Roman soldiers wore were just like that. And uh, it was about standing. It was about taking ground. That's why I love the scripture that says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you ever think anyone would ever call your feet beautiful? Because I've seen some feet before. and That's the last thing that comes to my mind is Beautiful. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you have a story to tell and the gospel is alive in your life, how beautiful are your feet that bring good news. <laughs> so amazing to me that the gospel actually gets brought right down to the ground. It, it's not lofty. It's not some lofty theological, ethereal kind of idea somebody came up with. It's about your feet. It's about going to those places that need the good news of Jesus Christ, whether that's your neighbor or your friend or the person across the street or really the person around the world. I love what God promised Joshua. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, that will be yours. This is the promise, I think, that comes with this passage right here, with this, with this article of armor is that every place the sole of your foot will go in Jesus' name, that will be yours. That will be yours. Um, we had an opportunity when we were, when we were in Israel. They, they've actually found, discovered Gilgal, 
uh, for the Bible Old Testament folks, it's, it's the place that, that the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan and they camped in Gilgal. Gilgal was kind of their, their headquarters. And from there they went to Jericho and Ai and other places. But, but here is, here is Gilgal. And it's, it's a beautiful thing because you sit and you look at this place called Gilgal and you, you, you know that across the hills in Moab, Moses probably sat up there for maybe a week and watched these millions, people, millions of people walk across and camp. And here's what I think. Moses is watching that. He's such a father at heart. He's such a, a, you know, a leader, a shepherd. And he sees them get and set up camp in Gilgal. And he goes, okay, my kids are there. My kids are safe. My kids are about ready to start their new way of life. Isn't that amazing? But, but here's how literal the children of Israel took this. You go to Gilgal, and you know, their camp, their encampment, the thing that they go in and keep them safe, the walls around them, every one of them is in the shape of a foot. They literally understood that every place the sole of your foot will go, that will be yours. Peace comes when we shed our feet with the gospel of peace. Peace counters the enemy's weapon of confusion. Just write that down. Just write that down. Peace counters the enemy's weapon of confusion. Peace is really hearing the word of God clearly and applying the word to your life. And that, that you refuse, you refuse to be informed with anything else that brings that kind of confusion. And there's a lot of things out there that do that. That's what I love about the peace of Jesus Christ. So today, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In a few weeks, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Arm up, as we say in places in this community, uh, suit up, show up. That's really what this gospel is about. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we want to thank you today for this amazing, amazing journey that you have us on, that we become more like you every single day. Thank you for giving us a solution to, to weakness, to, to fatigue spiritually. We are in a battle. And Lord, let our eyes and ears be aware of the battle that we're in and let us suit up, let us show up, let us be the people of God that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would just touch everyone in this room. We would be filled with your Spirit and your grace, putting on the whole armor of God. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.